Buck, and I'm small. And I'm Craig, and I'm tall. Welcome to Small and Tall, where two best friends explore movies, franchises, and genres that wouldn't be covered on Permanent Good. Craig, what are we doing this month? So for this month, it's kind of an excuse for me to watch movies that I, like, have been too afraid to watch again. So you know when you watch a movie and it, like, forms, like, a perfect memory in your mind? And you're like, I want to watch this movie again, but I'm afraid that the first time I watched it was the best it's gonna get. This episode is kind of like, it's, it's at least how I interpreted it, was my excuse to go back to those movies that I've only seen once that I really loved and be like, hey, let's, did these movies hold up? And I'm taking you in, the, in on this journey. You are my catalyst for no you're my conduit i get those terms confused you're my conduit for re-watching some of these movies um you've said on multiple occasions how i need to re-watch movies more often yeah uh and um this is us doing that yeah i told craig that i wanted him to finally put a list together of the movies that he's been wanting to watch again but also movies that he's been wanting me to watch that i keep being like i'll watch it I'll watch it, but then I just stick to the same movies I rewatch. So this month we are watching Your Name, Kubo and the Two Strings, Mitchells vs. the Machines, and Star Trek II Wrath of Khan, which I saw in a Best Buy today and really thought about buying the UK or the UHD version of, and I might still do. <laughs> but I'd do it. Yeah, I probably should. Um, as always, Small and Tall is a full spoilers podcast. If that's not your thing, I don't know what to tell you. Get we 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 told you we told you all the movies we're watching. You can go watch them. It'll take a month. Yeah, it'll take like eight hours. Hey, you guys need to start setting aside days, just like one day a month, where it's like I'm gonna crank through all the small and tall movies. Like we do it over the course of a month. Notes. Yeah, we do all the work. Time for you to put in some of the put in some you know sweat. I want your notes so that you can have conversation here with us. You got to know what we're talking about. Otherwise, what the hell are you doing? Whoa. (laughs) I'm just saying. We give them a month. I'm not yelling. I am talking sternly. My voice has not risen. I'm putting my my foot down. (laughs) Craig, Um, did you have any New Year's resolutions this year? Yeah, talking about it, we talked about it on Permanent Good. And it's that I want to be less mean-spirited in my movie reviews if you go back there are some movie reviews where i am kind of despicable towards <laughs> like certain movies critic. and that's not particularly fair because the movie isn't there to defend themselves and <laughs> so it just feels like in bad faith if i just spend 30 minutes absolutely blasting a movie <laughs> so like i want to make my critiques of movies more genuine and more thoughtful rather than just being like oh the skull sucked because the cinematographer didn't know what he was doing (laughs) like uh, you know it's all fun and games but you know i'm very conscientious of the energy i'm putting out into the world and i want to make that less straight up mean okay that's a solid that's a solid resolution to have um and yours is to be meaner you want to bully more (laughs) people in movies Maybe more people. I don't know about movies. Um, mine is to first and foremost f- 
finally memorize our intro here because as we know it's been a bit of a struggle <laughs> it's a coin flip every month but you know what and we, we, that is just I do it once a month, okay? That's my excuse. I should have it down by now, though. So that is one of them. And then two, I want to watch more movies that I don't like or am not neutral about. I want to be able to have more oomph behind my opinions, I guess. (laughs) Okay. So you just want to watch more movies. Because whether or not you like them or not, you know, it's, um... It all comes down to how many you watch. You don't, like... You get to a point where you watch so many that, like, the ones that really strike hot, strike hot one way or the other. Yeah, I want to force myself, like, because with a lot of our episodes, it's watching movies that we've already seen before. So I think we already have, like, the first three months of this year pretty planned out ahead of time. But I feel like for the other months, I want to push for more movies that I've never seen. The first movie I'm bringing to the table is is an anime movie called Your Name. It came out in 2016, and I watched it a few years ago, and this was one of those movies that, like, it makes it difficult for me to watch other anime movies because it's such a high-quality piece of art that watching anything after this is, like, it's a disservice to whatever you're watching after just because I love this movie so much. This one was so good. Like, it's just so genuinely cute, but also absolutely freaking heartbreaking. Gregory, what the hell? Yeah. So the plot to your name, actually, like, the, the gimmick of this movie is a lot less important than I thought it was going to be, or at least as much as I remembered it being. So the movie is like... There's this girl in a small town, and there's this guy in Tokyo, both, you know, teenage-ish. And there's one day where they just wake up in each other's bodies. And so they do this, like, swapping back and forth thing several times. And the first, I'm going to say, half of this movie is them learning about what's happening and learning to deal with it, learning to live with it, and kind of, like influencing each other's lives while still living their own and it's a really cool premise but then the second half of that movie is more about them trying to find each other it's like okay we've been living as each other for so long like how do we find each other and we'll work our way into that when we get there um and re-watching this movie they spent this movie spends a lot less time doing the living our lives as somebody else than I remembered. I thought it was like most of this movie. It's not. That's what I expected it to be. I expected it to be a lot more into that. Cause like for the first couple times it happens, they just think that they're dreaming. And then you find out that no, they're actually swapping lives, swapping bodies in a freaky Friday-esque situation. And I, I totally expected it to last way longer than it did. But the plot twist that caused it to stop really stopped my heart for a minute there, Gregory. Yeah, it's kind of rough. It's it's a little rough. Um, I think this movie is this movie spends the first half way more focused on the girl in the guy's body. Um, 
And let me tell you, I feel bad for whoever did the captioning for this movie because <laughs> trying to figure out how to label who is talking at any given moment must have been a logistical nightmare. Horrendous. Um, so the girl's name is Mitsuha and the girl's and the guy's name is Taki. Um, I, I'm trying to be I want to be a little more um, purposeful about that. So uh, this movie is a lot of Mitsuha in Taki's body. Um, whenever Taki is in Mitsuha's body, it it's mostly kind of like the comedic relief. Um, he does like a silly, like a lot of like stereotypical who I'm a guy in a girl's body type thing. And it doesn't stick around boots. for very long. Um, but Mitsuha is like genuinely living Taki's life, like hanging out with his friends, going to his job, setting him up on a date. A date that she is very clear about her wanting to go on. So, like, shout out. Yeah, shout out to. And listen, hey, I would be too, okay? Honestly, yeah. Like, I mean, come on. Um, (laughs) What's what's her name? Okudera. Okudera. Mitsuha, very much in love with Okudera. Like, and let me tell you, I would be too. Like, when she gets introduced, I'm like, oh, yeah, uh-huh. She is now, I, I care the most about her. Um, and they just have really cute interactions. Um, like when Okudera uh, rips her skirt and uh, Mitsuha sews it back up and she does that like uh, little embroidery pattern. Like that was, that was very cute. I just, um, I loved when... Mitsuha was in Taki's body, how she, like, wouldn't even try to act like a guy 90% of the time. She was just like, no, I'm here in this body, and I'm act like me. Yeah, and all of Taki's friends were like, oh, so you're finally embracing your feminine side, huh? And Mitsuha's like, okay, and what about it? <laughs> a, a true ally movie. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I just really like that dynamic. I think... Taki being in Mitsuha's body was a lot more about kind of it had a big like tradition vibe to it because Mitsuha Mm -hmm. is preparing for this big ceremony where she like imbues her spirit with those that came before her and those that come after her. Like it's this big kind of spiritual ceremony that ties with this comet that's coming overhead. And so Whenever we see Taki in Mitsuha's body, it's a lot of... Lore. Yeah. A lot of world building. Um, and, and, you know, she lives in a small town, so there's not a lot to do there. Most of the scenes of Mitsuha and her friends is them complaining about how small the town is. As they walk up a giant hill. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um. So the... Let me see if I have any notes before we get to the heart-wrenching stuff. Yeah. Oh, also, the music in this movie is so good. So good. It, like, the music is good. It's so pretty. The animation is so beautiful. It's all just a work of art, truly. Yeah. In anime movies, more often than regular movies, will do like a theme song, like a TV-esque theme song, and... When this movie did that, it was very good. There's like an interlude they do in the middle where uh, Taki is like viewing all of time. And that music was really good. The only music I didn't care for was at the very end. Like the very last song they play. Just because it was a very heartfelt moment. And 
the song they chose was like specifically my least favorite genre of music, which was like garage band Midwestern punk, like very <laughs> raw, untrained vocals that like felt like it was damaging the guy's voice. And I'm like, I can't stop focusing on that aspect when a very important moment is happening. So the sad part of this movie comes when we finally, they go on this quest to meet each other specifically. Um, Taki does Taki in his own body is like, I need to find this girl. So he knows what the village looks like. And so he's like scouring all these maps and newspapers trying to find where this village is. And he does. And so he makes this trek with like one of his guy friends and also Okudera. And it's like a day long journey, probably through trains and whatnot. Um, and they get there and there's a huge crater where the village is supposed to be. And everyone kind of pulls Taki aside and they were like, yeah, you don't know about this. The meteor that they were all having a celebration for broke apart and wiped the village out. And we learn that they've been not only jumping through bodies, but jumping through time. And Mitsuha is kind of doing all this in the days leading up to the meteor crash. And Taki is three years after that. Yes. Which is even more wild. Like, even more wild. And I'm glad I watched this movie for a second time because I picked up on a lot of things that I didn't really get the first time. Um, For example, the fact that the movie starts with the meteor crashing into the village. That's how the movie starts. And then it kind of cuts away and you forget about it real quick. Real quick. Because I forgot about it too. Yeah. And so when I watched it the second time, I'm like, oh, they just told us straight up. All right, cool. And it's little details that like, like that, that add really good rewatchability. And I think I waited the perfect amount of time to rewatch this movie. It's been like three, three and a half years since I've seen it. So I remember like all the fuzzy details, but they're fuzzy enough to where I still experience most of this movie genuinely again. Yeah, it was experiencing it for the first time. I definitely didn't pick up on that as well. And I it kind of makes me want to watch it again already because I'm like, what did I miss that Craig saw this time around? But also I feel like when watching movies that are like originally like anime movies or movies in general that are set or originally recorded with different languages and like have script in the background in different languages i sometimes wonder if more stuff would make sense if i could read the signs in the background normally when things get dubbed uh they will have some for it but not all of them yeah they usually do it if it's important um, they'll add, they'll re-add text or they'll add additional text. Um, one of the things that I picked up on this second watch through is that whole sequence where Mitsuha meets Taki in the train mm-hmm. and she gives him the ribbon. That scene didn't make any sense the first time I watched it. Um, but watching it back a second time, this one wasn't so much like details I missed, but like. I wasn't fully paying attention three years ago, and now I am, and I understand that scene a lot better. And that makes 
everything that happens after that so much more impactful because I understood the time dilation way more this time around. This yeah. movie does not explain much. You no. kind of, you, you just got to trust it. <laughs> trust the process. And you know what? Listen up, everybody. Listen here. If he ain't willing to go to the netherworld to try and meet you because you've been swapping bodies for three months, even though he finds out you're dead, then he's not worth it. He's not worth it. Not worth it. Move on. Um, And that scene where she gives him the ribbon, I think it's that same scene, is when we then cut to him, Taki, on the top of the mountain. And he has that ribbon again. And we get this like gorgeous flashback sequence where memories of Mitsuha are starting to fade, but then they instantly come back. And he's like living through all these flashback moments, these moments that he lived as her. And the way that that movie depicts that visually, as well as the music that accompanies it, is some of the most gorgeous kind of like visual storytelling that I've seen in a very long time. I, I like that scene a lot. Oh, absolutely. It was stunning. And I think the moment that truly breaks me, no, and it's going to break me every time I watch this movie, <laughs> is when they're on the top of the mountain, they're having like their final conversation. Oh. And they're like, and they're like, here, let's write our names down on each other so that way we won't forget them. And then he writes his name on her arm. She takes the pen, writes the first stroke, and then the pen drops. She disappears. <laughs> and Tears. I'm getting chills recounting that scene. It is heartbreaking. The way oh. my heart fell to the bottom of my stomach like i was like oh that hurt that one hurt that was that was a rough one um and and then very shortly after that so the another thing that this movie doesn't really explain but it's okay because it's not super important but after they do the body swapping um or during the final bits of their body swapping taki in mitsuha's body is like I know that this village is going to get destroyed by the meteor. So I want to evacuate the village. And so that's what Taki does. And then they swap bodies again. And now Mitsuha has to do it. And so Mitsuha is executing this plan of evacuating the village because, you know, everyone's going to die. And they're in the middle of this like unofficial, unrespected, very like grasping at straws. We need to save everybody type plan. And so tensions are really high. And in the middle of this sequence, Mitsuha just like breaks for no reason. And we kind of don't know why. And then she starts crying and she's like, I don't remember his name. I don't remember his name. And she falls to the ground just repeating that like, I don't remember his name. And everyone's like, Mitsuha, what are you talking about? And I'm on the couch crying because I know what she's talking about. <laughs> I know. It absolutely shattered my heart in that moment because like she like pops back and she's like i don't know what i'm supposed to do or why i'm doing this or what the whole purpose of this is and then it's like she falls to the ground collapses and then right there on her hand is taki's name yeah and, and she remembers and this and the movie lets you believe for a good amount of time that the evacuation plan doesn't succeed so 
Then we take this flash forward. We take a time skip, you know, five years after the events of Taki's life. So it's eight years after the disaster. And we're like, it didn't work. You know, people still died. Oh, well. Um, We then learn, you know, through more context clues that the evacuation does work. Hundreds of people were saved. And then we see this really cool scene. There's, um, Taki's doing voiceover for this kind of epilogue section of this movie where he's like, I'm an adult. I'm doing my best. I'm struggling, but I'm doing what I can. But there's been this thought in the back of my mind for, for a very long time that I can't, quite seem to grasp but I can't quite seem to lose it either like I'm looking for something or someone or somewhere and we see Taki have this like vagueness about him this wayward sense and we know what we what he's looking for and so this movie kind of lets this epilogue go for a few minutes not very long a few minutes of like Taki just kind of wandering through adult life and then we get this glimpse of Taki and Mitsuha on separate trains going the opposite way. And then for just a second, they make eye contact, but that's enough for them to remember. And they get off their trains. They start sprinting towards each other. And then when they make eye contact, they like get all like shy again. Like, Oh, this is just a stranger. What am I doing? They pass by each other. And then they just have this moment of reconnection. That is so powerful and genuine and amazing and accompanied by some of the worst music I've ever heard. <laughs> it's so cute and so precious. And I think everybody, if they didn't do their homework and didn't watch it already, needs to go and watch it immediately. Yeah, even though I've told you everything that happens, like this movie is such a visual treat that like it might have diminished it a little bit, but like watching everything happen is worth it. Like, I didn't dive into the Mitsuha stuff very much, like her side of the, like the, the village aspect. Like that's a whole thing that like you get more out of the more you watch it. Exactly. We didn't tell you everything. We just told you the big plot points. So there's still a lot more in there that makes it even more heart wrenching. So go watch it. What are you writing this? Yeah. Thing, um, I think this is a flat nine. Okay. All right. Up there. That's a higher rating yeah. than you usually so- get. The th- the I think the thing that would have me give this a 10 is I really wish we did more with the body swapping before yeah. the big stuff started happening. I wanted to watch them play in the space before we got to the high stakes stuff. And because we didn't spend a lot of time in the playing around the high stakes, the high stakes stuff kind of went on a little too long it's only a it's only like a 90 minute movie it's not very long but once Taki goes on this journey to find Mitsuha the fun part is over it's Mm -hmm. all drama from here on out which isn't a bad thing but I wish we had a little bit more time in the fun yeah I think but other than like I cry in this movie nine out of ten nine out of ten I think this one is an eight and a half for me it's beautifully animated the story is cute it's complex but also just a heartfelt little movie to watch and so yeah eight and a half for sure yeah this movie like i I, when i watched this movie i watched a few more movies like this 
afterwards, like, you know, you get recommendations online. And so I watched Summer Wars and like, hey, if you if somebody says, oh, I watched your name, what should I watch next? And you say Summer Wars, you're wrong because <laughs> like that's an like that's kind of an action movie. Um, and then also like the girl who leapt through time is also very similar in tone to this. Um, not as good in my opinion, but if you watch this movie and you want more, um, one of the first movies that we reviewed on the podcast on permanent good was a silent voice. I stand by that movie. That movie so rips. Good. It's so so good. good. Um, and probably a girl who the girl who leapt through time would be the next thing I recommend after that. So it's just, there's lots of good stuff going around in this medium. Big fan all around. Craig, have you ever watched Toradora? No. I think you need to. It's a very I... it's a very cute anime. It's probably Tor- on Crunchyroll. T O R O. Yeah. Oh, it's on Netflix. Cool. Yeah, I think you'd like it. <clears throat> okay. So, sorry, I pulled up Netflix to add this to my list, and the <sighs> first thing that it showed me was The Hatchet-Wielding Hitchhiker. Yeah, apparently th- th- I could go into a whole rant about that. Anyway. <laughs> I want to hear a l- give me a little bit. Well, so they like villainize the hitchhiker in that, right? And focus on like all the bad things about him. But when you like, including his family and like when you look at like his side of the story, the whole reason that he killed the guy was because the guy ripped him. Are you telling me that a Netflix true crime series or movie (laughs) or documentary misconstrued the message of what true crime is supposed to be about yeah. no oh, no anyway i'm gonna go watch Dahmer. um <laughs> so the next movie that we're watching is kubo and the two strings so i haven't seen this movie in seven years i saw it when it came out and the person that i was dating at the time was super into animation i don't know if they still are i assume they are um but i went to this movie Mostly because they wanted to. And I'm like, this doesn't seem like a movie for me. I don't, you know, stop motion animation wasn't really my thing. You know, I kind of had like a lot of internal prejudice against it. And this movie single-handedly wiped that like prejudice clean. Um, I can see why. And so before this movie, for me, like the stop motion stuff that I was aware of was like, Paranorman and Box Trolls and Nightmare Before Christmas, which is all very like dark and gloomy. And I didn't see any of them because those weren't my kinds of movies at the time. And so watching Kubo and the Two Strings, which was a lot more heartfelt, which was um, more actiony, like it was a movie for a 17 year old guy. Like if there was a stop motion movie that would do this, it's Kubo. Um, and Ever since I saw that movie, I've been, like, championing stop motion as a medium, like, for the last seven years. Um, and I'm so grateful for this movie to have, like, opened my eyes to that. Because without it, I feel like, like I genuinely feel like a more cultured person, like, having accepted this kind of movie. For sure. That's a... I love that for you. I love that that it w- that it was able to you know kind of change your entire outlook, and it's beautifully like beautifully crafted. Like you put this movie on, and within like the first few moments, you're literally just like jaw on the floor, 
at the beauty of the stop motion animation. Yeah, and there are a few scenes in this movie specifically involving the boat and whenever the boat is when the boat goes through like stormy tides. I remember seeing it in theaters and being like, I can't tell this is stop motion. Mm -mm. There are many scenes in this movie where you're just like, oh, this is just a normal animated movie. Um, But it's not, you know, each frame was made by hand. And there are some of the human models that I think kind of might have taken a little bit of like the brunt of like the shortcuts. Um, The the one that comes to mind is the old woman in the town. Um, I didn't love her model. And I don't and I think that she kind of got cut a few frames when maybe she should have had a few more. Um, But other than that, like this movie's gorgeous. And if if I don't stop myself, I could lament about that for the next 20 minutes. Um, uh, I think this movie has a really cool story. I think that's probably the biggest thing about doing this rewatch is I don't love the story as much as I did the first time I watched it. Rewatching it now, having watched, I don't know, 300, 400 movies <laughs> between then and now... I'm able to pick up a lot more of the storytelling tropes Mm -hmm. that this movie doesn't necessarily ignore. Um, And because of that, the story is a little bit weaker, but not by much, not by much. If you were a child or a teenager watching this, it wouldn't be as detrimental as it is to us as adults who are aware of those pattern recognitions, I feel. Yeah. So the big thing about this movie that I think is kind of an important clarifier is this movie doesn't really tell you that there's magic involved until it's too late. Until it's happening. Yeah. And so this movie starts and Kubo is in a cave with, you know, after a prologue, Kubo is in a cave with his mom who is for all intents and purposes, non-responsive. Um, and when the day comes, he goes into town and he does storytelling. He's, um, uh, what's the word? Besker? Busker? Yeah. Yes. There's Crap. a word for that. Busking. You're right. Busking. Yeah. Um, he goes into town and he's a, a storytelling busker. And his gimmick is that when he plays music, when he plays his guitar, the origami that he makes and the paper he uses comes to life and acts out the story that he's telling. And... It doesn't tell you that before it happens. And even watching it a second time, I was caught a little off guard because I'm like, why is the paper moving like this? Is this just like a visual interpretation of what he's saying? It was like, no, oh no, no, this is real. He's he's actually doing this. It's not until like his mom starts to do the same thing where I'm like, oh, okay, this is all like this is all part of a big thing. Okay, my bad. Sorry. You do your thing, movie. Right, like I didn't know if it was the banjo that, or the, the guitar or whatever that was magic or the paper, but it. And then I think what we learned is that. Mom. <laughs> yeah, I think what we learned is that he's the magic one. Yes. Um. Exactly. And the the movie takes a long time to tell us that. So the storytelling pacing is kind of an issue in this movie, but I think overall. Lots of good things are happening in this movie. Um, It does kind of uh, a basic, like, it's a fetch quest movie. It's like, hey, your evil grandpa is hunting you. In order to defeat him, we need a helmet, 
a breastplate and a sword. Not necessarily in that order. And so the movie is them getting these three things. I say them. It's Kubo, a wooden charm that transforms into a real talking monkey, and then a beetle wearing samurai armor. <laughs> you know, Voiced by Matthew typical- McConaughey. And the monkey is played by Charlize Theron. So, you know, your typical cast of characters. (laughs) And I think that they they have a really good dynamic. I don't love the Matthew McConaughey Beetle. He's a little too himbo for me. Just a bit. Um, And the reason why, I think, is just because, like, this movie takes itself very seriously, except for him. It's like, he's the tone breaker. In this whole movie. He's supposed to be the comedic relief, but they made him a little too stupid. Yeah. Um, But I really love the dynamic. I love the Charlize Theron monkey. I love her. Um, I think that she does a very good job at being like the stern but caring mentor. I'm a big fan of that trope, especially when it comes Mm -hmm. to kids like... Kubo's what 12 13 something like that very and and at no point did I feel like the monkey was burdened by protecting Kubo and we learn why but throughout the course of the movie she's like you she gets frustrated with him because she's like you're a kid I'm the adult stop asking so many questions and just trust me and the and what I love is when characters have that mentality and then the movie gives them opportunities to prove why they are that way. So when Charlize Theron is like, stop being such an idiot. And Kubo's like, you can't tell me what to do. And then the monkey like saves Kubo from three <laughs> spirits or whatever. I'm like, all right, I'm not, you know what? I'm not going to question it anymore. You clearly know what you're doing. <laughs> you were right. You got me on this one. Um, So... They begin, like, when this whole, right before this whole adventure begins, right, Kubo's mom is like, hey, Kubo, your grandpa and your aunts, they're really freaking evil, and they stole your eyeball, and they want the other one, and they want to take you to the stars so you're not even human anymore. So don't stay out after dark and then immediately the next day immediately kubo stays out after dark and this all happens and blows up in his face yeah and so the reason he stays out past dark is because this the village has this ceremony where they light lanterns to speak to those that have passed and kubo having never met his father was like i want to talk to my dad and so he also unsuccessfully tries to light this lantern to talk to his dad. He like lights the lantern and like nothing's happening. And he's like, Hey dad, Hey dad, where are you? We learn later that he didn't speak to him because he is a beetle in samurai outfit. <laughs> um, and it, yeah, it's, it's a very stereotypical case of set up ultimatum immediately break ultimatum. Like, the movie wouldn't tell us this unless it was going to happen. Exactly. And, like, imagine being a grown adult and wanting to steal a child's eyeballs. Yeah. And so, you know, when we get to the end of the movie, we meet the grandpa and we kind of hear this little monologue of why 
the grandpa wants Kubo's eye. And he's like, it's because humanity sucks. And I want you to join me in a place above humanity. And Kubo's like, I don't want to do that. And he, and the grandpa's like, well, too bad. And I'm like, Hey, that's not a great reason. No. Hey, Craig. Yeah. Are you allowed outside after dark? Uh, yes, I am because I'm missing the other eye. Okay. Okay. So it's just if you're missing the left one. Got it. Yeah. Uh huh. My dad not allowed outside. Makes sense. Oh my god. All my business <laughs> with your family makes so much more sense now. <laughs> um, I, I I know I'm being a lot more critical of this movie than I was with the previous one. I think it's just because this movie feels a lot more like a movie. Um. It kind of fits in this pantheon of like outside of the animation style and like the visual representations it does to portray a story. It doesn't feel like much more past that. Like it's not breaking a lot of new ground other than being a visual treat, which it very much is. I think that the story, it has like, it has its like deep moments. Like obviously... So here's, you know, the your big, big spoiler. The monkey is his mom. The beetle is his dad. And that he realizes this for like two minutes. And by the time he's like finally put the pieces together on this and realizes that he has his mom who's trapped in this monkey body due to magic and dying and his dad who's about to die right next to him. And so he like he gets his family back, this child gets his family back for two seconds and then they're both killed by his aunts and then he has to go and be nice to his grandfather after making his grandfather human again. Yeah, and and so he makes his grandpa human again and the grandpa doesn't have any memories. He's like, I don't know what kind of person I was. And the entire village kind of comes together and be like, hey, you were a good man. You helped this village. You helped me individually. Your grandson is a great storyteller and he will fill you in on the rest. And as an audience member, you're like, I appreciate the humanity of this. But this boy did just get and lose both of his parents in one fell swoop. Like, that is a heavy burden to place on a child's shoulders. Although the one line that I did like the most out of everything in this movie is that the end of one story is merely the beginning of another. Like, that sticks with you. Yeah, absolutely. And this movie starts very powerfully. Uh, this mo- the, the Kubo gives this monologue that he gives again when he does his uh, busking, where he's like, if you're going to blink... Do it now, because if you miss even a single detail of this story, our hero will perish. And I'm like, what a cool, what a cool way to open a movie. For real. It's, oh, it's just so good. I really enjoyed so, this one. I, I do too. I really enjoy this too. If I were to recommend this movie to someone who has not seen it before, I would place a big emphasis on the vibes where I'm yeah. like, hey, go in, pay attention, definitely do that. But if the story doesn't hook you, that's okay. It's a visual treat from beginning to end. Absolutely. What are you rating this one? I'm giving it like a seven and a half. I was going to say seven. This is a, like you said, it's a very solid visual treat. And, you know, the story is there and you can, it gets you through it. But I'm here for the, once again, the soundtrack and the animation. 
And I think I would have liked this movie. This is a watch with someone movie. You can appreciate it by yourself, but it is much better if you watch it with somebody else, especially if that person is somebody that appreciates what's going on. Um, And I just find this so interesting because I think this is the best movie that Leica Studios has put out. I remember watching this movie and then like keeping an eye on Leica Studios for like, you know, for their next movie and uh, The Missing Link was the movie that came out after this. And I didn't see it in theaters, but I like rented it from Redbox and I watched it after that. And I was like, oh, this is not the same. This is not what I wanted. Right. So most people who don't know you in person might not know this fact, but you are a big, big fan of friendship bracelets, right? Always have been since I've known you. Did you notice that in both of these movies, there are very important sentimental bracelets involved. Yeah, I did notice that. <laughs> I did notice that, yeah. And the thing about the the bracelet in your name is he wears that bracelet for three years, doesn't take it off, and doesn't really ask. What, he's like, I guess this is just the bracelet I wear now. And that's just what he's like for three years. I haven't worn a watch for three years. And watches are supposed to last that long. But if I tied a piece of string around your wrist right now... I'd wear it for, like, at least a month. I feel like you'd wear it until it fell off. Yeah. If it was just a piece of string, would probably be a month. (laughs) Um, yeah, good work. Good work. Let's, uh, get right on going with Mitchells versus the Machines. This was one of... I think think this was in my top five list, uh, for 2021. Uh, I don't care enough to listen to that episode and fact check that, but I feel like it was my number five of 2021. I could see why it would be. Like, I see it. Yeah. This movie is made by the same studio that did Into the Spider-Verse, as well as Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, Mm -hmm. which are two of my favorite movies. So good. And, um... It, sh- it has like a Spider-Verse animation style, but a Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs writing style, comedy voice. Um, it has that like zany, kooky, campy, over-the-top style of comedy that I th- think works really well in an animated format. And this movie just kind of knocks it out of the park. I agree. It's beautiful animation, but the animation along with goofy humor really ties it together yeah um this movie is a netflix original movie it's about this nuclear family who has kind of drifted away from each other specifically the daughter katie and their dad um because she is super into movies and is very tech oriented and her father is not either of those things he's you know like a wilderness man um, isn't good with technology, tries to fix everything by hand kind of guy. Um, and those personalities have started to clash. And Katie is about to move for college. She got accepted into film school. And instead of driving her to the airport like they had planned, they decided to, in one last-ditch attempt to bring the family together, do a family road trip from Michigan to California and try to you know bring this family together and along the way robots try to take over the planet just 
as a little side bit there, you know, just casually. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say I love this movie a lot. I was actually kind of worried I wouldn't like this movie on a rewatch, but it holds up. I like it a lot. All the little like animation quirks. This movie is not afraid to create visual aesthetics that don't affect the movie. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. And what I mean by that is like, um, like Katie and her little brother, Aaron have, um, a little like raptor gesture they do. Cause he really likes dinosaurs. And whenever they do that raptor gesture, they do, they add a sound effect and a little raptor icon over their hands. And, you know, whenever Katie like makes a heart with her hands, like little hearts go around her hands. There's just lots of little aesthetically improving doodles almost that uh really bring this movie to life it really makes it feel like kind of comic booky almost yeah exactly and it's it's just this movie this is my first time seeing this as with 90 percent of these movies as i've said but it was just so fun to watch like i had such a good time watching this because like you know mixed in with all the humor and how the little brother being obsessed with dinosaurs makes me think of my nephew who is currently in his dinosaur phase and it's absolutely hilarious um like mixed in with that you also have the you know breakdown of the relationship between katie and her dad and like you see kind of what caused them to grow apart but also like i guess how a lot of what drove them apart was meant like something was stuff from the heart i guess like made with good intentions yeah you look at the i think the movie does a very good job at being like we're like you know we're watching this movie and we are closer to katie's age so it's easier for us to relate to katie um at least i think um but this movie does a very good job at Say nobody was wrong in this situation. Like, no, nobody is purely at fault. Sure, yeah. her dad didn't have an interest in her interests. And, like, he did a bad job even trying to fake it. Um, And that is a very good reason for a daughter to drift away from her father. But on top of that, you know, Katie didn't really bring anything to the table when her dad was like I do want to fix this so I think this movie does a good job at showing like both sides have their valid points and it takes the whole movie kind of exploring how each character comes to terms with the fact that they need to put in a little more work except for the mom she rocked it she was a queen oh yeah yeah (laughs) um yeah, Danny McBride is the voice actor for the dad. Uh, Maya Rudolph plays the mom. Uh, Eric Andre is in this. Uh, the dude from SNL, whose name I can remember, who can whose name I can never remember, Be- Beck Bennett, I think. Um, and my favorite, my favorite little piece of trivia in terms of voice acting for this is uh, Griffin McElroy, who is. Uh, one of the podcast brothers in the whole McElroy family dynasty. Um, he has like a little voice cameo in this. And 
his name was in all the articles when this movie was getting its like press junket. It was like this new animated movie from the studio that brought you Spider-Verse with Maya Rudolph and Eric Andre and Fred Armisen and Griffin McElroy. Griffin? He has one line in this movie and it's drowned out by a billion other things because he is one of the many voices that's speaking during the technological uprising at the mall when they're being chased by a thousand different appliances he is one of the many appliances and i find it very funny that a bunch of these news outlets were like we're gonna cite griffin mcelroy as an additional voice in this he when i looked up griffin mcelroy in Mitchell's versus the machine. The clip is seven seconds. <laughs> I love that. They were like, you know what? This name's going to bring us some, this, this is going to get us some clicks here. Yeah. And that is only important to me. I just find it very, very funny. <laughs> that scene that you're talking about where they realize that they have to put in the kill code to these droids that have taken over the planet, which this is one of the best robots takeover movies I've ever seen. Um, but when they're in the mall trying to do that and there's this giant Furby that just goes rogue, that is like such a fear. It's it's such a fear. Like childhood me was terrified. Gen- yeah. And in this movie, that scene is genuinely kind of terrifying. Um out of nowhere like it just got real spooky real quick and then it went away yeah and i just find it very funny because you can tell that whoever wrote that bit has been trying to figure out a way (laughs) to write that into a script for like 15 years and nobody is letting them and then they finally make this movie and it's like finally i get to write the creepy furby scene At last, my time has come. Uh, um, I think that... Oh, go ahead. No, mine was stupid. Go, <laughs> carry on. I was going to say that I think all of the... Mm, maybe don't say that that happens in this movie amongst the family. Like, just saying that back and forth towards each other. I feel like that is a very solid representation of being in a weird family. <laughs> yeah, I think this movie, like, nails that odd quirky because like to call them a dysfunctional family i think is giving that phrase too much credit um they're i i think yeah and they seem very normal but also maybe it's just the culture because the city that this family is from is two hours away from where we're from so maybe maybe it's just a michigan thing you're right um Forgot about that part. So they're like, they they have this very weird, kooky dynamic that like, I think most families have in the privacy of their own home. And everybody is awkward and silly and makes bad jokes and disconnects from everyone from time to time. And I also kind of like how there's this juxtaposition with the John Legend and Chrissy Teigen family. Uh, who, oh, you know, so represent themselves as perfect. But they're just like, no, you guys, like, we like how normal you guys are. Like, don't worry about not being perfect. The normal is is fine. We appreciate that. I Yeah, just the, the com- 
the jealousy and the competitiveness from the mom character for that family because she sees them as perfect. That's like, you see that so much these days, like just so much jealousy amongst moms. And it's like, y'all, everybody's just trying their best. Yeah. And that's what I think what really comes down to this movie is it is packed to the brim with so much heart. Like this script is all about just communicating the complicated relationship that comes with being a family. Um, I think, you know, pretty much everyone in this movie says something they wish they could take back or does something mm-hmm. that they inevitably hurt somebody else with. But as a family, you have the choice to like, let that sting you forever or figure out how to move on. And like, Obviously, blanket statements here, Uh, you know, degrees of severity change your ability to do this. But in terms of like day to day family impact, like all families are going to goof it every now and then. Um, And I think that this movie does a good job at like tying together, like how to work with a family that's goofed it a few times. Yeah, absolutely. There was one scene where they're like going in to try and defeat these androids that have taken over and they dress up in like not i don't want to like they dress up as the androids right they dress up yeah they take like the shell they take like the shells of these robots and um wear them as a camouflage disguise yes and it feels very star wars like i was like huh am i watching star wars right now (laughs) Um, I'm gonna say I love this movie a lot. The third act bores me to tears. It was very slow. Because the third act of this movie tries so hard to call back to every single thing that they've set up in the last, like, 90 minutes. And it just, it got so old so fast. Like, Every character needs to have some sort of redemption moment. And except for like the dad who got like four. Um, yeah. And it kind of, it just kind of felt like we were beating a dead horse at a certain point. Like the fact that we got him conveniently having the screwdriver and having that come in handy again, that felt like beating a dead horse. And then he overcomes his inability to do technology to, so he can, you know, type in a YouTube video. That is kind <laughs> of a tired trope. And then uh, after that, we get another kind of redemption scene where they finally Katie and her dad finally sing their song which they haven't been able to connect with in many years they like finally sing that song together and I'm like okay we get it their relationship is better now it was cute it had cute yeah it definitely was cute but in terms of like pacing a movie I would have done it different (laughs) yeah it was it was a couple a few too many times there um, I gotta say, uh, big fan of Manchi the dog. Uh, nailed it in every sense of Crushed the it. imagination. Uh, he's just, they did such a great job at capturing just how stupid pugs are. Yeah. It, just in general, they're stupid looking, stupid acting. You look at them and you're kind of just like, how do you exist? I- how, how does, how does your brain know how to communicate to the other parts of your body that allow you to 
perform the survival functions that you need. I loved how they would compare it, like the pug to a pig and then a dog and then a pig and then a dog. And even the androids couldn't make sense of that. They were like, we don't understand how this is possible either. Yeah. And and that was kind of like the start of the chain of events that led to the third act being paced poorly. Like, it, like that was the first of like seven callbacks. So after you see that callback, just kind of skip ahead a few minutes. <laughs> you might yeah. save a little bit of time. Yeah, just a little bit. But in the end, we had a happy ending with our functionally dysfunctional family and all was well. Everybody made it to school. The earth was saved. Ta-da! I think this is one of those movies that a lot of people will enjoy regardless. It's campy, it's silly, and that's enough to get a lot of people to enjoy it. Um, But I think it's really, like, Katie is such a relatable character to, like, a specific group of people. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, there's something about that arc that I'm really close with my family. Now my family doesn't get me and I feel like an outsider. But now I finally found the people that do understand me. But now I kind of have this guilt of those people not being my family. Like, that specific emotional arc, I think, is very relatable. Especially to people in the arts. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of people go through that kind of cycle of not feeling recognized and having to find, like, a third party to be like, you guys get me, right? And getting that validation. And so... I really saw that was the part of Katie that I saw myself in is slowly realizing you're the weird one and being uncomfortable with that until you find more weird ones. Yeah, I can definitely agree with that. I feel like it definitely is a good one for, I'd say, people our age to watch and younger as they like begin to venture out on their own and live their own lives separate from their family life. I feel like that this is a this is a good one to take with you. Yeah, absolutely. I just I think this movie is so cool and it's one of those movies that just it doesn't get made very often. A few of these come by every now and then. And I really like to shine a spotlight on them when they do come by because I think these movies are so important because it's the kind of movie that can like It feels like a breath of fresh air because a lot of people complain like movies are too samey these days. And I'm not going to disagree with that, but I think that this movie is is a movie that can give you that relief that you're looking for because it stands so far apart from everything else. I feel like this movie is what the Croods wanted to be. I've never seen the Croods, so I wouldn't know. (laughs) That is honestly surprising. (laughs) There are so many movies that Gregory has not seen that knock my socks off when I'm like, how have you not seen? Well, that movie came out, what, when I was 16? I'm not not taking 16-year-old self to go see the Croods. You went to see other movies that were much more questionable than taking yourself to see The Croods at 16. Okay, you can't... uh, I see the Emoji movie one time in theaters, and all of a sudden that's the bar that everything gets compared to? Yes, you did this to yourself. I feel like this is an unfair expectation to hold over my head for the rest of my life. 
Well, I feel like if you're going to watch the Emoji Movie, you should at least watch The Croods. But I forget that I also was babysitting at this time, and that's probably the only reason that I watched The Croods. All right. Did we check our privilege a little bit? There was no privilege there, Gregory. There was babysitting privilege. Babysitting privilege. That's a privilege? Yeah. Okay, if you say so. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think I give this movie like an eight and a... Eight, eight, it's an an eight and. It's an eight and something. (laughs) I'm going to say eight and a half. I'm going to say eight and a half. Okay. Yeah, I give it... I give it an eight. It's quirky. It's fun. It's cute. It's got good messages throughout it. Yeah, it's a good time all around. Okay, now we're going to go for the movie that's a little bit of a change in tone. Um, <laughs> this, this one's vastly different from everything else that we've watched so far. we got to keep them on their toes. we got to keep you on your toes. Now, this was also the movie I was most worried about revisiting. So this is Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan. Uh, it came out in the 80s. And I saw it, I think, in August was the first time that I had seen it. And yeah. so this is kind of the quickest turnaround of of the movies that I've watched on this list. And I'm like, if I rewatch it too soon, will it like ruin the hype? Will I like kind of burn myself out on this? Uh, no. No, we didn't. We're good. We got it. We're good. Um, so I've talked about this a few times on uh, the main feed. But Star Trek was has kind of been the most recent, like, brain rot, attach itself. It is now a part of me. Like, I think two years ago was, I think, like, two years ago was when I watched the first, like, J.J. Abrams movie. And I'm like, ah, oh, no. I, I felt it happening <laughs> as I was watching this movie. I was like, oh, nuts. This is going to be, this is going to be the rest of my life, isn't it? Um, it's be a whole thing. So I've been like slowly working my way through Star Trek content. Um, and I knew that my theater was reissuing the Wrath of Khan because it was the 40th anniversary last year. So I waited to watch that movie because I knew I wanted to see it in theaters. And it was like almost a life changing experience for me because I think this movie rules and it's so good. Um <clears throat> Now, if you've never seen Wrath of Khan, which I don't blame you because this movie is 40 years old, um, it, it's the first movie to ever be a sequel to a specific episode of television. Um, there was an episode of Star Trek, the original series, uh, that featured this character, Khan, who was genetically engineered in the 1990s and then got put into cryo-freeze and shot into space and basically gets unfrozen by the Enterprise in their time in the 23rd century. And they have a battle. Uh, Kirk wins. He sends Khan off to exile. Now enters this movie. Khan gets rediscovered by a different crew. And he's like, hey, do you want to help me get revenge on Kirk? And they're like, not really. And he says, too bad. (laughs) <laughs> so it's this like genetically engineered supervillain on this personal vendetta quest across the galaxy to kill Admiral Kirk and steal a life creation missile. And it rules. It's so good. It does. It's so good. Um, this is the quickest I have ever in my time of knowing you known you to rewatch something in its entirety. Yeah. 
So this is true. I I very rarely rewatch movies at all. Um, And, you know, it kind of helped that I'm doing this for the podcast. But when I was a menace when I saw this movie for the first time, I would not shut up about this. So, like, I think it makes sense that this is the one I circle back to pretty quickly. Um, The reason why I like this movie so much is I love Kirk and Spock's dynamic oh, it's so because good. um because Kirk is this like hot shot like he know it all stubborn um big man kind of guy you know he he has a lot of ego and Spock is this calculated uh specific um, I don't want to say unemotional because he is emotional, but he very ra- he doesn't let emotion dictate who he is or the decisions he's he has logical. to make. Yeah, very logical, as he will happily tell you. And so, seeing yeah. these two kind of intertwine with each other is it, it, they have very good chemistry. And um, what I love about this is because Spock is generally not an emotional person when he has these moments of big emotion in this movie, it makes them hit so much harder and they do a really good job at like sprinkling in these breadcrumbs so that when they do callbacks for it, it just, Oh, it's so good. And there's one callback that absolutely guts you, but we'll get into that in a minute. I, so I grew, I grew up on watching Star Trek here and there. It wasn't like a constant but it was here and there, and I had seen this movie once before when I was, like, really young. But there's just a certain feeling of nostalgia that blankets you as soon as you put any of these shows or movies on. And it was just really nice to kind of, like, revisit that comforting feeling while watching this. Yeah, and we talked about this when we watched the original Star Wars trilogy. Old sci-fi is so slow and sometimes it's purposefully slow and sometimes it just it's limited and it's forced to be slow and i think that this movie does a bit of column a bit of column b um and so very rarely is there music in a scene unless that scene is very very important so there are a bunch of scenes in this movie where like no one's talking for a few seconds. So all you hear are like the beeps and boops of the enterprise bridge. Um, Sometimes it's just like the thrusters of the enterprise, the wind howling on a desert planet. Like they are very specific with the sound effects because they didn't exactly have, you know, a huge library to lay back on. Mm -hmm. Um, and sometimes it's to this movie's benefit and sometimes it's not. Sometimes you're like, why are we sitting in this scene for 30 seconds and nothing is happening? Like this movie, like old sci-fi really likes having you just sit in a space for a little bit. Feel the vibe. They just want you to feel the vibe. This movie also does a very Star Trek TM thing, which is introduce a love interest who we've never met before reveal that Kirk has a son with this woman and (laughs) he has been out of this son's life for the last 18 years, 19, 20 years, something like that. It's just like, we have had no mention of Kirk even thinking about a family like the entire time that we've known him as a character. And 
Wrath of Khan is all of a sudden just like, hey, just so you know, here's a whole family dynamic. Good luck. Does, so like, spoiler alert, as always, but towards the end of the movie, the son goes up to Kirk and is like, I'm proud to be your son. But did did Kirk ever tell him that he was, like, proud to have him as a son? Did I miss that part? Um, I think so. I think- Okay. I think rather he says, I'm hurt by the fact that you don't want to be my son. In a very Kirk fashion, okay. he does kind of make it more about himself. You're right. I do recall. <laughs> um, also, a spoil- another spoiler, this son dies in the next movie. He doesn't stick around very long. Uh, they said, so- oh, <laughs> sorry about that. So I just like, and, and like when the son, son dies in the next movie, it's a very powerful moment. And it's probably the best acting we ever get out of William Shatner in his entire <laughs> Star Trek career. But like, um, I, I, I find this character of the son so boring and forced and yeah. milk toast and just in the way more than anything else. Just there to cause problems and be a menace. Yeah, because he doesn't know that Kirk is his dad, and he's just like he's very anti-Federation. Um, yeah. He doesn't like the Federation. He doesn't like anyone associated with the Federation, and he's like Captain Kirk's just like a big Boy Scout. He does whatever the Federation tells him to, and so his mom has to be like, "Stop it! That's your dad. <laughs> Calm down. Chill out. Don't speak of your father. You didn't know it was your father that way. So, um, I sorry. You go ahead. Uh, I really like Khan in this movie. Um, I didn't remember the episode very well. Um, I watched a lot of TOS like while I was doing stuff at work. So I, um, I don't remember. There are a lot of episodes where the details are kind of fuzzy, but even going in, not really remembering the events of the episode that he's from, like Khan is just, he's a, he's kind of a scary dude. He's a very, very powerful being and it radiates off of him yeah and he's like very threatening to his crew and um he does a really good job at radiating intelligence in like a fearful way you spend a lot of this movie or at least i did i spent a lot of this movie kind of being like i don't know how they're gonna like outsmart him on this one he he does kind of have them in a box it's been a long time since we've had like a really good smart villain. Like most of the villains these days are they're kind of dumb. Yeah. Um and it was very cool to see a Star Trek movie that's not necessary it, it's it's high tension rather than action packed. Um yeah. So I really liked this um holding your breath that you do every time the ships take a pass at each other. You're like every shot matters and and every like every everywhere that we place the energy the the remaining power that we have on this ship matters because we have very little left. It either goes to the shields or the phasers. The phaser the phasers or the thrusters. Never all three. Yeah, in the I think it also has like a very powerful I guess I don't want to say like underplot type of deal, but like a like a subplot of like one of the basis 
of the movie is that like is how you would react in a life or death situation and if you would save yourself versus your crew save your crew versus yourself try to save everybody and i think exploring all the different sides of that i think they portrayed that really well yeah absolutely this this is called the kobayashi maru test and i think it's a term that like has kind of infiltrated real life situations people refer to a no-win situation as a Kobayashi Maru. And this is the movie where that phrase comes from. And that's how the movie starts, is um, uh, an Academy cadet performing her Kobayashi Maru test and being unsatisfied with the result, realizing it's a no-win situation. And her arc is kind of like, how do I react in a practical situation Like, what is the line? Like, where does regulation no longer matter and I have to make a choice? Exactly. And then you see how her mentor, like, you hear about how her mentors reacted when they did the test. But also, you get to see how some of them react in real life. (laughs) Yeah. um, I, the Kobayashi Maru is also explored in the 2009 Star Trek movie, um, The thing that I would say is if you've heard me talk about this movie for 15, 20 minutes now, um, the thing that I would recommend, if you've never watched Star Trek before, watch the J.J. Abrams 2009 Star Trek and then watch Wrath of Khan. Don't watch. Hey, gang, do not watch the, the original Star Trek motion picture. Like, don't waste your time. It's not bad. It's just not great. Um, so... If you want to watch Wrath of Khan because you think it's a good piece of sci-fi, it is. Just watching the the J.J. Abrams Star Trek will help you understand it a lot more. I think it's really funny that a lot of people think that this movie is the sequel to the 2009 J.J. Abrams movie because they both have Khan involved in them. Yeah, and I want to talk about that. Um, I need to rewatch that movie because maybe I didn't fully like. Watching, I watched Into Darkness before I watched Wrath of Khan, right? And let me tell you, Benedict Cumberbatch is the least intimidating Khan I've ever seen in my life. Granted, I've seen two, but <laughs> um, like pales. I need, I want to rewatch that Into Darkness because I I just feel like it's a really weak attempt at the same storyline and. This movie is just, it, it just shines so much higher in every single way, except like visually. Um, I also love seeing the crew be smart. You know, they have to be smart to outsmart Khan. And the piece that I go back to time and time again thinking about this movie is when Spock and Kirk are communicating about like a time frame to like repair the Enterprise and get them back on board. And they have to speak in code because their systems are being monitored and Spock literally sets up a very simple code and then speaks in that code. And I didn't realize they were speaking in code until they explained it to me after the fact. I, yeah, I didn't catch that either. Even on this rewatch, I was like, Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Because he says, cause Kirk like opens the dialogue and he says, how's it going up there? And then Spock says, up here, hours feels like days. And then he gives the rest of the timetable in in reference to days. But what he really means is 
instead of two days, it takes two hours. And it took this second rewatch for me to realize he set the code up right up front and I didn't even notice. It was, it was just a really cool moment. It was phenomenal. And there are so many amazing actors and actresses in this film. And there are some who aren't that amazing, but I totally forgot that Kirstie Alley was in this at all. Yeah. Uh-huh. And yeah. that she had such a big part. <laughs> yeah. Is she Dr. Marcus? Uh, she is, I, uh, hold on, she's Savik. Okay, uh, yeah, I think it's Savik, but regardless. Um, Savik, she's Savik. And I, um, I think a, a lot of people give William Shatner crap for his acting, specifically in Star Trek. And I'm not going to say it's unwarranted, um, but I think that, he does a really good job at pulling it together when it's absolutely necessary. And you know what? No, I think he's just a good job at pulling it together when it's called for it. Um, I think he also just leans into camp really easily. And sometimes oh, yeah. he leans into camp a little bit too much. Um, so that scene where he's transmitting fake data to Khan, but he's really setting up like a back matrix so he could disable their shields remotely. Like he does that very subtly and very well. I, and I think that is done very well. And then when we get to the end of the movie, him being emotional, like it, Oh man, it destroys me. And like this whole cast is iconic. Uh, I want to wrap up on the cast before we get to the sad stuff. Um, because Leonard Nimoy, obviously iconic. Nichelle Nichols, like legendary. Oh my God, legendary. Um, George Takei, James Doohan, Walter Koenig. Like th- this, everybody is so good in this movie. And I want to give a shout out to my boy DeForest Kelly, um, Dr. Bones McCoy, yes. my favorite Star Trek character maybe ever. I love him so much. When this movie opens and they do the Kobayashi Maru and it's over and the lights come up and he's just laying on the floor all fancy like, I'm like, I I've missed you. I've I missed this dynamic so much. Um there's two lines in this movie that just like absolutely dig at my heart, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. So, you know, after the Maru test or whatever, Spock and Kirk are talking. And I, I'm pretty sure they're talking about being friends or whatever. And Spock is like, I have been and always shall be yours. Which, first of all, oh, my God. And then at yeah. the end, right, right before Spock dies, essentially, that line is repeated. And I'm just like, I was... I was in tears at that point. I cried. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, One of the themes of this movie, it's not the main theme, but it's something they bring up a few times, is like the concept of aging. This movie came out, um, you know, 15, almost 20 years after the start of the original series. And um, so everyone in this movie has like moved on to a different part of their personal lives, but their characters have moved on to different parts of the Federation. And this whole movie is about Kirk having introspection. Like, should I still bother trying to captain a ship? Am are my skills still worthy? Like, am I wasting my time? And there comes a point where like, he needs to take over command of the enterprise and Kirk is like, I understand if you don't want me to Spock, this is your ship now. 
um, this is totally yours. Don't feel bad. Like I wouldn't feel bad. And Spock is like, no, dude, no, this is your ship. Like you are captain Kirk. Do you know that? (laughs) He's a good friend there to give him the reminder he needs. Yeah. And, uh, Kirk and Bones have a lot of great conversations of just like doing what you want while you can before you age out of it um, for real. And I just think this movie has so many great themes about humanity that really they just stick. They're timeless. They really are. And I feel like they have, they like you said, they do really well with these conversations. And I don't know where I was taking that. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> I'll say this, the, the, I have been and always shall be yours. Like I would get that tattooed like tonight. Um, Let's go. Let's do it. But that'll be, that'll be our bestie tattoo. For sure. Um, But the other thing that gets me is when Kirk is speaking at the funeral service and he goes, I will say this of all the souls that I have worked with. His was the most human. And it was it's just it oh my god. It it just destroys you. Oh my god. And and that's kind of what I mean about like William Shatner pulling it together when he needs to, because him having that scene, you know, separated by that radiation glass and him just like breaking down but still wanting to like acknowledge his friend. Uh, that that scene is so powerful, and then followed immediately with one of the most solemn and impactful eulogies that like is ever I've seen in a movie. It, like I, it's a really good section of just film in general, and that's why I recommend this movie. Like I understand, like a little bit of homework goes into watching this movie in a way that you can appreciate it, but. If you can overcome that barrier to entry, I like a lot of people cite this as like some of the best sci-fi that's ever been created. And and I I'm notioned to stand by it. Um this is my favorite piece of Star Trek content. Um like granted I haven't like there's m- more of it that I haven't seen than I have seen, but like I don't know, there's something just like grounding about this movie that it it it's aged so well. It's timeless. It just feels so timeless. And it's very difficult to make a sci-fi movie that is still worth watching 40 years later. But, God, this movie's so good. I think you summed it up really well by saying that there's something grounding about it. Like, that is the exact... That's that's the exact feeling that this movie gives you when you watch it. It's just very grounding. And I can agree, like, even with what I've seen of... Star Trek like this holds the torch so far yeah and that's kind of what I love about sci-fi in general is the best stories about humanity are the ones that are told when we're in a foreign area like hey we're in space we are talking with aliens right this is how we find who we really are and this is how we find what's important is among the stars and like i i know i i i i like that a lot it's it's gold what what do you rate this one um i give it like an 8.75 there's a lot about this movie that 
is so good, and it just kind of gets held up in the weeds a little bit. I'm, I'm going to give it a flat nine. That's It's not fair for me to love this movie so much and not at least give it a flat nine. Because um, <laughs> uh, at, at this point, a nine is, a, is like a movie where it has imperfections. A 10 is a movie that has imperfections, and I'm willing to overlook them. Mm-hmm. A nine is a movie that has imperfections that still trip me up a little bit, but I don't super care. And that's where I'm at with this movie. Um, so I love this movie a lot. There's a few hiccups along the way. Like the sun, if the sun was deleted, 10 out of 10 movie. Um, <laughs> but it, a, a flat nine feels right. Uh, yeah. I might give this one, I think an eight and a half, maybe 8.75. Yeah. We're going to go with 8.75. That's, that's for the same reasons. There's hiccups, but at its foundation, it's just near and dear to my heart. Now, this movie did kind of like, I've been watching other stuff. Star Trek kind of took a back burner for a little bit, but I decided to get back into it. You know, I, I picked up where I left off in The Next Generation, and uh, that show's not good. <laughs> like a Rooney. Like, I'm still in season one, and people say the show doesn't get good until like season three, which like, whew, I gotta buckle down for that, I guess. Batten down the hatches. Uh, hey, Bug, I am so excited. What are we doing next month? Okay, so this was very difficult, and I didn't know what to pick for this because we already have done uh, my favorite movies, so I couldn't go that route. I just had to go with movies that I liked that I'm pretty sure you have never seen before and that it's been a while since I watched. So we're going to be watching The Craft, A Walk to Remember, Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead, and Girl Interrupt It. <sighs> Oh, man, there's a lot of whiplash on this list. <laughs> there's n- no cohesivity at all. No cohesiveness there's, at all. There's some of these movies I've never heard before. That's what I was going for. Hell yeah. Uh, oh, my God. I am very excited about this. Oh, wow. It jumps across a lot of genres, so I'm very excited for you to experience this. Are we good? Are we ready to wrap up? I think so. I was, um, let me see. Let me get into it. I gotta get into the mindset. I gotta wake myself up a little bit. I'm very sleepy. Okay. So, yeah, that's what we'll be watching next month. I'm very excited to hear all of your thoughts about it. And, you know, this gives all of our listeners time to go watch so they can be included in the conversation. So, this wraps up our, what are we calling this month? Uh, I'm calling it Craig's Rex. This wraps up our Craig's Rex month and, uh... We'll see you next month for Bugs Rex. I'm Bug and I'm small. And I'm Craig and I'm tall. Thanks for watching our January episode. We'll see you on the last Friday of next month. Have fun, be safe, and make good choices. Mwah.